absolutely incredible. Now, you have also served as the medical officer and the chief medical officer for South Africa at international tournaments. I would love for you to take me through a typical day in that specific position. And of course, maybe as an example, I'd like to take you back to 2010 during the FIFA World Cup that was, of course, hosted right here in South Africa. Yes, um, so very many highlights in those specific roles. Um, at FIFA, I was a medical officer that worked under sort of the venue medical officer. And so FIFA, I mean, actually, I was a glorified stretcher bearer. <laughs> you know, because the protocols of, of FIFA required that the people who carry the stretcher are medical docs mm -hmm. and then one advanced sort of um, a paramedic. So, so with that, really, I mean, really, my role was very small. Obviously, you needed to understand the bigger picture in terms of the medical um, infrastructure that's in place and certain protocol that were developed for the games. And that was incredible, right? I mean, the FIFA, mm. the World Cup, as we all know, was one of the highlights in the South African sports calendar. But if I just go to sort of the other iterances of um, being a, a medical officer at these games or a chief medical officer, um, really, your priority is you are there to service the athletes. You are there to ensure that, um, that we either manage injury, should an injury come up, uh, it, it, in such a way that it, it minimizes its effect, injury and illness, I should say, in such a way that it minimizes its effect on performance, um, or obviously make some very difficult decisions if we know that it is going to compromise either the performance of the athletes or, more importantly, their health. Um, and so on a day-to-day -day basis, basically, just as a medical officer, typically what that looks like is we will rotate. So there's a few of us. So there's a clinic that will always be open sort of before the athletes head out to whatever competition that they've got. You'll see any athletes that, that need to be consulted for whatever, whether they've got an injury or an illness. You'll make a diagnosis. You'll initiate management. Where you need further management, like if you need to refer for an extra and ultrasound, you'd have to do that. And then a big component, obviously, is how you communicate this to the athletes and their coaching staff so that they can make an informed decision about, you know, if you're still before competition times, but you're away, whether or not they train, how they adapt their training, um, and then ultimately, you know, whether or not they'll be able to compete. And so very rewarding um, work, but, but often can also be very difficult when you have to have those difficult conversations where an athlete you know has been working for however many years to get to this moment and suddenly something comes up and, and you'll say to them, look, we, this might influence your performance or we're actually going to have to consider pulling you from a competition. And then of course, we also sometimes, not always, have the privilege of being able to go then to competition venues and actually, depending on the sports, um, you have to work either field side, like for rugby, you know, you're actually working while the game is happening or in some sport like athletics, you know, you'll be there at the warm-up track in case the athlete needs anything, but very much in the background. And then you have the privilege of being able to actually watch them on the track when they perform, and then obviously be there afterwards to um, attend to any needs they might have, accompany them to doping control if they, their manager won't, um, and really then run the clinic at night. So the days are quite long, I'll tell you that much. The days can be anywhere from 7 o'clock in the morning, depending on when your athletes are setting off, up until typically about 19 in the evening um, every day when you're on tour. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's it's not easy work. Um, a cousin of mine said to me recently when we went to Tokyo, why are you so tired? I thought that you guys just go and watch the game. And, you know, and I was like, yay, <laughs> you don't understand. You actually need a, a holiday from, from that because, I mean, fundamentally, when you're traveling with the team, you're on call 24 hours, you know, because if an athlete is going to call you at 2 o'clock in the morning saying something's uncomfortable, you'll wake up. Because, I mean, you're there so that they can perform the next day if, if there's a way for them to do it. And you want to make sure that you act before it progresses, if it's an illness, you know, um, mm. and you catch it, you know, so that they, you actually minimize, like I said, its impact. 
Wow, absolutely incredible. And thank you so much for the amazing work that you do because that's a lot of hours if you ask me. <laughs> but I would like to take you back to, to 2016. Now in 2016, you joined the Sports Science Institute of South Africa. Tell us a little bit about this specific role and some of the lessons that you learned in this particular institution. What a great institution to be able to join. I mean, if you know the history and just to remind you of the legacy, this is an institution that was really founded by uh, Tim Noakes, uh, Professor Tim Noakes, um, as well as Monet Duplessis um, way back when, you know, with a vision really to become an entity that uses science and research to influence and improve athletic performance of South Africans and then the vision extended Africans and beyond. Because we know that the work that was done by the Sports Science Institute and the researchers and scientists and clinicians there certainly extended beyond South Africa, Africa, and had an impact in terms of world practice, actually. And so to be um, invited, I guess, because the interview process, to join a, a, you know, that particular team and to contribute to that legacy really was a privilege. Um, at the time that I joined, uh, as with any organization, you know, there's always this, there were challenges that were being experienced, um, as they will be with any organization. Um, and we made some pretty big decisions to sort of shift the way that we do things in order to um, bring the organization, I guess, up to speed commercially, at least with, with practice um, as it currently stands. And so um, and, and some, some challenging times in order to create those shifts. Um, but, but what I can say, having you know, gone through the process and certainly looking back now and looking at where the organization is right now, um, is that shifts that were really necessary for the organization to continue to operate and to contribute to the sporting sector in South Africa, maybe in a different way, but certainly to continue its legacy. Um, by and large, though, I must be honest, when I look back at my time at the Sports Science Institute um, and the amount of responsibility that was on my shoulders, um, I am privileged to have worked alongside a team that was competent, that was capable, that was visionary, and that was willing to put in the work that needed to be done in order to to continue um, this legacy that was established by, by Monet Duplessis and Tim Lokes. Wow. Now, some might say that you've achieved it all. Like, literally, you've ticked all the boxes in terms of sports medicine and, and being there to support athletes. What lies ahead for you in the next few years? What are some of the things that you would still love to achieve? Well, let me just first clarify, there's certainly no such thing as achieving it all. Um, I acknowledge that that there's there's many boxes that I've been able to, to tick, and I'm, I'm most grateful for it and appreciative. Oh, but there's so much work that still needs to be done, Aaron. And so we need to do it. Um, if I think about where I am right now in my particular journey, I, 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 my calling, my need, I think right now, in the next chapter at least, really has to do with uh, being a facilitator, enabler, and driver of transformation within sport and using sport to transform societies. And that's what a lot of the work that I'm doing right now in this chapter um, is focused on, is bringing to light certain inequities in sports, but not just to complain, bringing to light so that we can change things, right? Um, not just being a voice, but being an implementer. So that's really important to me. There, there, are, there are many voices and voices are really important because we need to speak about these things. We need to acknowledge them. We need to realize that there's a problem and acknowledge that there's a problem in order for any changes to start happening. Um, and so I will contribute to those conversations, but my work, lies in being the change and creating space for the changes to take place um, and infrastructure and, 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 and initiatives that will actually start driving the change that we need to see at various levels of sport. 
You're locked on to the Sport MBT Insider, a podcast for unrelenting coverage of women in sport. I absolutely love diving deeper into the journeys of our athletes, coaches and administrators to get to know them a little bit better than we do. Coming up this Wednesday is an interesting round of quick fire questions, a great opportunity for some good laughs and some great banter. Keep it locked onto Sport MVT, where we celebrate our women in sport.